So about a few years ago, I started offering bookkeeping franchises. Selling bookkeeping franchises is a relatively unique concept. That's the challenge that I came to you guys today with. I'm just saying, if you think the model is that good, make it easier for people to get started. That's a good point. I would imagine that any aspect of running the business you're not controlling, but they're controlling is probably an opportunity for you to have another way of having a revenue stream and for them to make life a bit easier for themselves, no? Yep, 100%. All right, welcome back to the Optimized Podcast. I'm your co-host, Nick Sonnenberg, and I'm here with the one and only Jay Abraham. Hello. Jay, today we have an interesting guest. Uh, We met through Strategic Coach and um, very interesting entrepreneur, Max Emma. Max, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Max, so if you've seen some of the previous episodes, you have a good idea of the format. But basically, we're going to have a chat. This is just a consultation that we're ultimately trying to unlock some type of growth potential in your business. New ideas for revenue optimization, partnerships, referral, testimonial marketing, and anything that is going to help you raise your top line. And that's where Jay's genius is. And then I'm going to be looking for opportunities where you can streamline things and be more efficient. And ultimately, we're just trying to get one or two really good ideas for you that you weren't otherwise thinking about to just add value to your business. Sounds good? Yes, absolutely. So if you wouldn't mind just maybe kicking things off and just tell us very quickly about your business model. How do you make money? Who are your clients? And then we will just fire hose a bunch of questions to get to kind of wherever we need to get to. Sounds great. So I run ultimately two businesses. One is bookkeeping for small and medium-sized businesses throughout the United States. And our main point of concentrations are franchise grants. We are preferred bookkeeping vendor for about 85 franchise systems in the United States. So that's our bread and butter, and we're adding more and more of those. And being around franchisors for years, gave me this crazy idea that I can be a franchisor. So about a few years ago, I started offering bookkeeping franchises. And uh, just yesterday, I sold my number five. So I have five bookkeeping franchises sold. And that's the challenge that I came to you guys today with. The bookkeeping, I, I think I got it. And we're doing a good job and we're adding more and more franchisors. And they're now finding us, which is great. But uh, selling bookkeeping franchises is a relatively unique concept. There are only two bookkeeping franchise systems exist in the United States. Who are they? So we are looking at one with five units. And there is also supporting strategies that have been around for uh, 10 years. They have about 100 units. So does that tell you it's a big opportunity or it's a limited opportunity? Well, it tells me it's a big opportunity. And um, there are other franchises that do taxes but they also offer bookkeeping as part of it. And yours don't do taxes. We don't do taxes. We get most of the referrals from CPA firms. So I'm not going to shoot myself in the foot by, you know, being competition. And let me ask you a question. I'll step on Nick a little bit. Give me the economics of what the franchise offer is. Dollars, royalty, training, everything. So the franchise fee is $30,000. Unless you are a veteran or active military spouse, then you get 30% discount and pay only 21000 And if you are an existing bookkeeping firm or a CPA firm, then you only pay $20,000 in franchise fee. We call it conversion franchises. And then uh, the royalties are 10% of the gross sales. Uh, we guarantee half million people in population. So we just sold bookkeeping Miami. So Miami is now taking, but if our franchisee has family somewhere in Boston, she can go where the referral is. So she's welcome to take referrals from the other areas as well. However, nobody else is going to open another Miami. uh, Well, but so why would you get, again, it's not, it's not confronting you. It's just curious. If Miami has a population of, let's call it three, four million, why would you give one person Miami? Because city of Miami has uh, around half of the million people population. The three million is the metro Miami. So somebody can open this bookkeeping Fort Lauderdale, bookkeeping Sunny Isles. 
okay, just in Miami State. Did you know that, Nick? I thought it had much higher population. I thought so too. But what what happens if they don't perform? What are the kind of stipulations you have if they're not performing? Cancel the franchise by back. Yes, yes. There is a clause, and actually, they start paying minimum uh, royalties, which are increasing uh, every six months. So they'll be the first one at the door trying to get out because then the minimum royalties will kick them out of the system. I say, gotcha. Oh, smart. So I've helped over my career. Well, I got started with Entrepreneur Magazine, so we've been involved. I, I'm not actively involved now, but a lot of franchises, B, B minus, C franchises, not not you know, not a Subway or a McDonald's, anything like that. But there's usually two big components to a franchise offering. One is, you know, the, the operational predictability. It's got a very, very, you know, a very easy to follow and very integrated system processes, procedures. But the other side is the marketing or the selling. And that is where a lot of them fall down. And I'm going to ask you about it because they don't really have a congruent, consistent, predictable way to rapidly build the franchisee, the the the, the clientele, the, the, the revenue generating business. Now, do you have both sides pretty well licked uh, yes. If you remember, I mentioned the 85 franchise systems that yeah. we do bookkeeping for. This is our marketing because if, uh, let's use Miami as an example. So uh, if a new Fast Science or Signorama who are our clients opening in Miami, our franchisee knows about it the day they sign the franchise agreement. Okay. Uh, when the, their competition knows about it, when they put the uh, sign on the door, we get informed by the franchisor the date signed because they have to buy all the QuickBooks through bookkeeping. So we send them to our franchisees. We also do uh, all the collateral. We do local uh, social media. We do all the blog posts. And then uh, we also provide them on top of the training. We provide them six months of the live sales coach training on top of the free of charge. And, and that would sound to me like you are you are forfeiting your own business from those franchisees in lieu of giving it to your localized franchise. Uh, is that right? So if somebody would normally, if, if, if you would go, whatever it is, fast signs, if they open somebody anywhere and you're the recommended provider, you would normally get that direct to your company. But you're saying instead of that, you're going to let that be given to a franchisee that would be in that market? Only if this franchisee is in this market. The stipulation though, uh, with all these franchises, we have pre-negotiated prices. Let's say the price for the fast sign is X. Our franchisee in Miami will know you can service this franchise, but you have to charge X. If they don't, then corporate does it. So the five franchisees you've sold so far, where do they come from? So all five came completely different uh, routes. So one was uh, the whole friend and friends and family. So the first one uh, that we sold, then uh, the brokerage was number two. Number three came through website. Number four uh, came through a portal. And number five came through one of the franchisors expo. They already own one of the franchises and they just decided to add bookkeeping to their portfolio of companies they own. Okay. Next question. When did each of those come in? Did they all come in rather rapidly? Or are they coming intermittently over a long period of time? And the question is designed for me to figure out if those sources are just occasionally generating quality people and you take the friends and family, maybe they can generate a lot just through word of mouth or, or referrals from internal friends. But if the portal or if the trade shows or if whatever you do on social media or if you're paying on Facebook, if it's generating a lot of leads, there's, there's, it's a complex question. And for, for bear with me, Max. So it's either A, generating a lot of leads that aren't converting, or B, generating a very few leads intermittently that either are or are converting. And the answers to that sort of complex question will determine the next thing that I or Nick might say. So what's, what we're, what is reality? What, what, what is, what's, What's reality about leads, conversions, time periods? So we've been actively doing it for 
two years uh, franchising. We got an approval the day we went into lockdown. So for the first year, I wasn't selling. I was just revamping my existing bookkeeping business to make it all remote and stuff. Um, so when we started selling, the first one was friends and family. The person uh, who bought it knew about us from San Diego. After that, it's all outside of company. I've never met the other four before in my life. So to give you an idea, over the last two years, no, maybe two and a half, we have over 6,000 leads because we, we keep the database from expos, from everything. And so if you have 6,000 leads and you close four because one was friends and family, why are the other 59, uh, 96, why are they not moving forward? And what, and there's two questions. Why are they not moving forward? And what constant interaction have you or do you have with them? So we have, we text them, we email them, we schedule calls. And some people just deletes were trash. So again, people go on portal, fill out the form, and then you call them back. And all they want to do is to find themselves a job. But hey, might as well. They don't know that I'm paying for lead. So they're going to go fill out the form. They don't care. But the experience that I have firsthand from people who come to a franchise expo looking for a franchise, they don't even know bookkeeping franchise exists. For them, they're looking for pizza franchise, for paint franchise, something very obvious. That's why they come to the franchise expo. Like, oh, really? Bookkeeping franchise? What is that? Yeah, those be the kind of franchises you're talking about, food-related people, people come to you. You don't have to go to them. It's the opposite. Let me ask you this. I don't know what you can say or project in your franchise, but what are your probable income type ranges that you can, or even if you can't legally state them, what would you imagine a franchisee in a, in a, in a population of 500,000 should be generating on a monthly or an annual basis for themselves? So the historical numbers that we show based on the data that we have shows the average gross uh, revenue of 424000 a year and average gross profit $257,000 a year. So you make 10% off of the top line, right? So forty five k a year on average you're making per. What I'm wondering here, Nick, if I can put $30,000 down, and you're not factoring in you know, the, you know, the labor, but if I can get basically in year one a 10-time a ten return on that investment, if I'm the only one, is only one person necessary or do you need a lot of people to support this, Max? No, you can do it by yourself uh, uh, or you can hire people. But one thing I haven't mentioned to you, we actually provide uh, franchisee staff to do the work if they want to. So it can literally be a turnkey. You make a margin on the staff too? Is that another way that you corporate make money? We, we do. That's why it's an optional for them, but they don't have to source them. They don't have to train them. They don't have to house them. We provide all of that, pay the benefits and everything. So Nick, if I said to you, if you give me $30,000. That's a one-time 30,000, right? It's one-time yes. 30,000 and then 10% of, of growth. If I yes. said to you, I can get you, if you follow the plan, uh, a reasonable shot, no guarantee, but a reasonable shot at a, a 250000 to $380,000 a year income, if you want to do it yourself, would you be interested in that? It matters what my alternative best uh, move is, right? What do they, yeah, but it would seem like the other franchises have a much bigger, or maybe I'm wrong, a much bigger out of pocket and a much, uh, and the franchise hasn't even taken consideration that they don't need, I mean, they can work out of their house for years, can't they? Absolutely. They are in an office or if they want to. What do you think the reason that more people haven't bit on your offer? So, I'll, I'll get to the second. Just wanted to mention the 257 gross profit. That's already less than 10% for I the know, uh, already project. Gotcha. So, so it's I already. Oh, oh, I didn't factor it. Oh, you're saying the 425 and the 257 no. are, are after yeah. you backed out your, your 10%. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was. 424 is your revenue. And then 257, oh, oh, okay. your gross profit after. All the direct, yes, after all the direct costs. Okay, cool. It's not bad. Hey, so back of the ranch, why with, with what seems like for the person that wouldn't be able to, you know, to get a lease on a, on a, on a, 
uh, space, who wouldn't want to buy all the equipment, wouldn't want to have a bunch of employees. Why, what do you think the reason that they don't, they don't uh, show much more interest in your offer? Uh, again, the pushback that I'm getting is like, oh, I didn't know that it exists. Let me wait and see how other people are going to be doing it. You know, it's not like a historic data where they can go like into Subway and see how sandwiches are being made. You don't made. have a lot of success. You're extrapolating from your own experiences, perhaps, but you don't have any long-term, really, any history from this model because it's new, right? Well, yeah, but my franchisee, number one, I mean, she is uh, killing it and she is actually a validator and she is sharing her revenue during the calls with potential franchisees. So let me ask you this question. It sounds like from Nick's discussing your other business is a very profitable business. Is that correct? Bookkeeping is, you know, relatively low margin, but yes, yes. And okay, it's growing. So what I'm making, if it's legal, what would happen if in year one, you said to people, look, we believe strongly and so strongly that if you'll, if you'll buy the franchise, if you'll agree to follow the, the, the system and you don't, and you're not on, on track to make at least half of that at the end of the 12 months, We'll buy your franchise back from you, but we get to keep your clients. But what if they don't have any clients by then? What if they just, you know, doing well, nothing for you? Let me, let me say something to you. If tomorrow morning, and, and let me give you, uh, I got to give you basis. So when I used, I used to do, um, I'm much older than you guys. I used to do very expensive seminars on marketing mechanisms. And I had a book of 500 testimonials that had been submitted to me from one program. and Half of their growth was attributable to risk reversal, creating a way to take the risk away so uh, compellingly that it was easier for people to say yes than no. When we did our most expensive programs, and this was before the the internet uh, was big, Max, our risk reversal was we won't eat. We want you, we're going to send you a two thousand dollar program that will, if you apply it, will pay for your your uh it should pay couldn't say well should pay for your whole fifteen thousand dollars number one number two we won't even consider your purchase binding until you've been to at least uh two and a half days of a five-day event and already gotten value three we wouldn't even deposit back then your check or process your credit card until the end of the last uh the last day at uh i think six o'clock and it produced a massive number of people. And yes, we had a small number of refunds, but it didn't matter. The people that sent me their their success stories said that by using a strong risk reversal, it would double, sometimes redouble, worst case, 50% more for existing businesses. Yours is really not really very existing. And that yes, they would have an incident of redemption, but you have to not look at what you give back. You have to look at what you get. If tomorrow morning you could get 100 franchisees that would follow that and 25 of them, you had to buy the buy the franchise back and just suck the money for the first year if you didn't need it in an account. But 75 or whatever my numbers are did it. And now you had the model to prove it. You're off to the races. Why would it matter if yeah, I always look at what you keep, not what you give back or give away. And a lot of people don't understand that. You want to make it easier for someone to say yes than no. You want to make it easier for them to start a relationship. And then win or law, you know, that if you choose wisely and they enter it and it's a primary job for them, you would think if your system is right, if they have the right outgoing personality where they're going to basically wait for you to feed them, but also call on people, meet attorney, I meet accountants who don't do bookkeeping, do all those things that they should be in striking a distance of at least a half of that. And if I don't think anybody's going to give up, you know, a 212, either 212 or, or 125000 dollars first year income on a $30,000 investment. Here's the thing that I want to say to you. If somebody bought a franchise, no recourse on your part, and they don't do well, they're going to have sour grapes anyhow. And in the beginning, if you find that the model isn't perfect and you have to uh, retrofit it, 
you're better retrofitting it with goodwill than bad because if you sold five more and three of them didn't work out and now you got horrible reviews, that's terrible. I'm just saying if you think the model is that good, make it easier for people to get started. Jay, at this point, I'm open to any ideas and that's why I'm here. So uh, I could, uh, you know, argue back that I would want people to have some skin in the game because well, if they, they know it's they $30,000 at risk and they didn't get the money back until the end of a year. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of ways. Also, You could also lower that thirty to 15000 and take a bigger percentage that drops down after you've recovered the delta of what you discounted them on the front end. Yeah, that's a good idea too. But here's the point. Think about this. And I, I used to say this to people in the highly recurring subscription business. So let's say just to make it an easy example, if you had a newsletter, Max, and it was highly renewable, let's say your renewal rate was 75%. And I said to you, and let's say it was $200 for a subscription. And the newsletter business doesn't cost very much to fulfill. Not, you might have a big overhead in your office, but the, incrementally one more newsletter costs you know, pennies. Uh, to fulfill. If I said to you, Max, if I get you 10,000 new uh, subscribers this year at $200, and that's $2 million, I want to keep all of the first year uh, subscribers. And it, these would be people that paid the $200 and the people that have a predictable history of renewing at 75%. If you refuse that, you would be one of the most strategically imprudent people I'd ever meet because I was putting in your pocket literally a billion five in year two, if they got 75% of that, I'd be putting in your pocket, whatever it is, 900,000 in year three. Do you, do you understand that? You're, you're the bookkeeper. I'm saying to you that if it's a franchise that doesn't have a referential sort of a correlation, they can't see any, and you don't have a great, uh, not a bad or a great, you have no great quantitative success rate, the easiest way to overcome that is say, let me tell you what we do have. We have a model that has been operating for blank years. We've done it for some of the most uh, respected franchisees. They love it. We know it works. We have proven uh, the model works. But if you feel at all uncomfortable, you could do what Nick does. You could say, we'll, we'll, we'll guarantee it. But at the end of a year, if you follow this system and you don't, and you don't want to keep it, We'll take it back. We'll buy it back. Because let me ask you this question. In the accounting business, I'm having an ADD moment, but this is fun. Accountants used to pay $25,000 to somebody who would source new clients for them, which was about the first year revenue. If you had somebody that only built a fifty dollars or a $60,000 a year income, and you had to buy it back for thirty. dollars you could sell that all day long to somebody as a base. So your downside, unless you choose very imprudently on the franchisees that would do it are low, but here's what you would then have. You would have an irresistible proposition in the market. You could say a franchise that isn't saturated. So you're turning the negative into positives because only two of them. A franchise that is benefited by every small accountant in the United States, because 90% don't do bookkeeping. And there are a hundred, there are a million five of them. A franchise that guarantees it, that you the ability to sell it back if you aren't uh, successful in your first year. A franchise, a franchise that has 85 major franchises already agreeing to give you, to, to funnel business to you when they get new whatever you call them, franchise. I mean, I think you'd say that that story would be, I just gave you a copy position and a strategy that is irresistible. And I'll let Nick make a comment and then I'll give you the coup de grace. Well, Max, any, any feed, any comments or questions about, about that? It all makes a lot of sense, but just so you understand the uh, economics of uh, franchising. So hardly any franchisor makes money on the initial franchise fee. So like out of the 30,000, I probably not going to see any of that because most of it will go to the brokers right away. He's not going to wait or she's not going to wait a year. And then to the sales organization that helps to out that we outsource, you know, all the processes. But you give them. Uh, that would be the majority of it. Okay. Well, so well, that's because it's a hard sell. 
you may not even need a broker if it's an irresistible cell max. You may just be able to le- just have to have your SEC or your franchise attorney make sure that what you say is legally and not uh, and not a breach of the laws. But I don't know that. I mean, I just can't believe people wouldn't beat a path to you who wanted to do it, not who were tire kickers. Well, but my question would be, how will they know about me? That's the question. Well, I mean, now I'm overstepping. I want to get into efficiency at some point. But a couple of things, just piggybacking off of these ideas. You know, what if, do you have an opportunity to have, say, a mastermind group or some some kind of group where people pay some modest yearly fee for access to you and your knowledge, not under your brand, under their own brands, and then asked after they get to know, like, and trust you, and they've got a tiny bit of skin in the game, you know, then you have in-person time and you have their 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 full attention to explain to them, you know, you're making 120000 a year now. And then you bring in that number one person that you said is killing it, right? That person's in the, in the mastermind group and others. And you get people not directly to try to get them to, to buy a franchise, but you get them into some other type of baby step before that. You know, could, could the relationship be both ways where like that? Who's the person that's the number one person you said? What's his or her name? Well, her name is Sophia and she owns the East County of San Diego. Maybe you could hire her to do some stuff and, you know, give some talks or whatever. Maybe if she's getting referrals for other back to corporate, she gets a referral fee. So she's paying you some percentage of her gross, but then you're paying her back for referrals or you hire her to, you know, do some talks with you, right? Like if if she's your number one and she's making half a million a year or something, that to me is the most powerful marketing that you have. If if you have like a real live case study that's raving about it, you know, that's that's the most direct proof. It would seem to me, and if you said to me, Jay, I'll give you half of the business if you if you write and run ads for me, I would do that tomorrow because I think you're probably missing a great opportunity if you're willing to do this. But here's the question. You may not make money, but you're going to make a lot less money if you own a franchise for two more years and you only have 10 people, yeah. aren't you? On the franchise side, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you want the 10, you want the 10, if, if it really delivers a half a million dollars or so income, then you're saying you want the 50 or $60,000 a year income stream each franchisee can deliver. The sooner we get a lot of people out there, the sooner you get it. And if it didn't work out, but you had 150 people out there doing it and you had to consolidate it since it doesn't matter whether they're in their city or not, if the worst case and you had to buy them all back, but you ended up getting your return the first year and now you consolidate it back in your own business, you'd win on the damn thing other than making sure you complied with franchise laws. I just think if you shift your paradigm, you're going to end up killing this thing if it really works. You said on average it's like four fifty gross. What's the what's the average revenue per client? Like I'm just curious. Like what's the average number of clients each person has? So unfortunately, because of the stupid regulations or not stupid, you, you know, know. I, I can't. No, I, I just can't. You know, even oh, mention okay. it. You know, so that's oh, that's right. the problem with franchise. Let's ask it differently. What is your average revenue per client with the other side of the business? Well, the four fifty seven comes partly from the franchisees that we have and partly from, from our 12 years of experience. I know, but okay? what we're saying, and I'm trying to say something that is legal. I'm just asking if we switch for this one minute in a window and ask you on the other side, not the franchise side, but in your business, Max, what's the average revenue, average revenue at a discounted, we know you have a discounted fee, what are they worth per, per year per, you know, per franchise? Probably, you know, three to five hundred dollars per client per year, uh, per month, per no, per month. No, per that, month. That's the okay. Debate. okay. So, so that I, I had to write us, I, I was going to assume it's like a thousand clients then on 450 or something. Oh, no, sorry. It's like a hundred. He can't say. Okay. All right. Well, e- either way, uh, is there also an opportunity? This might be a very stupid question. Um, I'm, I'm a bit ignorant with this space, but if you were to own maybe not a premium like a Subway or Pizza Hut, but some other type of franchise, do they provide bookkeeping services too, or or that's on on them, or they could go elsewhere? Could could a client of yours be someone that owns one 
Chick-fil-A, one Subway, one Pizza Hut, and they verticalize and they verticalize through you and they're not even trying. Nick, a lot of people have multiple franchises, so he could go right through his system believed in him. Right. So verticalizing, is that a potential opportunity too? Yeah, we actually have some master franchisees, they call that, uh, um, you know, oh, no, not master, uh, what is it? I, I forgot the term, but yes, we have people that own like 12 different franchises, like yeah, multiple and different brands. Yeah. Could be the 13th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You're so the it's, 13th. It's, it just supports the other 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Have and you so, right that was my next question. Have you gone to all your clients and said, you know, if you can legally with your current franchise agreement, pick up another one, we'll give you a special discount because you're a client. Anyhow, you want to add our franchise and put somebody in it and pay them 50,000 and you make the other differential. Yes. That's how we sold number five. We're trying to break through a, not a rigidity max, but maybe a paradigm that is a little more linear with a very more powerful, a super strategic logic. If you have, if you have, let's say, uh, a thousand franchisees from 80 or whatever franchises, maybe you have 10,000, doesn't matter. And they have, and half of them are permitted to own other people's franchises. And you don't go to each one and show them, particularly if I gave you an idea with taking the risk away and say, we've got the 13th, we've got your seventh except for this one has no downside risk other than you putting, you know, putting in the effort. If you don't make enough at the end of a year that you're happy with it, we'll buy it back and we'll give you your franchise fee and we'll just take over your accounts. If you did that too, let's say you had 5,000 franchisee clients and 2,500 were fully permitted to have any kind of other non-competitive franchise they wanted I would be hard pressed if you made the offer irresistible to think you couldn't get two or three hundred of them. Well, that that's a great point. I mean, I, the first thing I'll do after this interview, uh, I'll check if I'm even allowed legally to do that because I've never heard of the franchise buying it back and returning the franchise fee. So, or is there like an M and A play here, uh, Jay? Like what you you know some of the content you're doing with Roland? Could you buy? Could you acquire small firms? And then rebrand it under, you know, under um, your brand. That'd be interesting. Depends on what what is that? What is a what is a bookkeeping service sell for? If you're going to buy a bookkeeping service that was making, this is probably the real key to his, the value of his offer. If you bought one that was making uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, what would you have to pay for it? It's one to one point one x. All right, so so you could do one of these one of these types of uh, deals that you know, Roland talks about all the time, right? Where it's like zero down or very little down and then they get a percentage till they recover it. Or I give them some of my clients. I mean, I think the point that we're probably bombarding you with is you have a lot more options than you may have seen, but you could also, here's something you could do also. You've got direct contact with all these franchisees. I just think that, I mean, my experience, I helped somebody... 10 years ago, and he had, I don't, I think he had 15 or 16 totally different franchises. Each one was making him a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars The guy was making over a million dollars playing golf. Everyone else ran it. But if you had those and you just called everyone and said, I have a way to add another hundred to $200,000 to your pocket because you can have somebody at a fair rate, run it, give them an upside. They'll are your manager. You could do one of them there or multiple ones, and you should be the first ones before I offer it to somebody else since you're adding franchise franchises anyhow. And I just think, you know, I just think even if you didn't do the guarantee, but if you did the guarantee to your own client, you even give them a little discount. You don't care. You just made the point. You don't care about the 30000 but if you sold it direct, you're going to eliminate all that, all that sales commission. They already have a relationship. You mean pay your own guy or girl to do it. You pay them a grand or two a deal instead of half of the money. And all of a sudden you got two, 300 franchisees that are, you know that they follow the program. You know that they are monsters of implementation and execution. They're probably the best prospects you could get. And they're going to trust you a lot more than somebody outside because they've had a relationship. They know that even if you have to project, you're basing it on empirical 
I just think you, I think you've already got your business success. You just haven't, there's a concept, Max, that you have a compounding, like sort of these people in the, in the 1920s that bought uh, a bond or something and never cashed it in. And they bought a, you know, hundred dollar bond and now it's worth $10 million just with, com- you know, with all the compounded interest they've never, they've never redeemed. I think you've got all that ready to be redeemed if you look at it right. Good point. Yeah, great. I still like the idea of like some type of mastermind for a few thousand bucks a year and you build a, and you build a group where they pay. And then if they become, if they sign up for the next thing, you know, you credit them back, whatever they paid you on the mastermind. Um, but it's just an easy yes to get started with you. I bet $30,000 if he gave terms. You give terms to people for your 30? No, we don't. But, we are- you, but you could, Max, if you weren't paying all that money out for sales. If you went to your franchisees, clients, and you said, I'll make it even easier. It's 30 grand. Give me 10 grand now. And the rest you can pay there over the rest of the year out of, out of you got to pay it, but paying it out of the profits. If you do any of this, I don't really care. I need to get the 30,000 for the training, but I don't really care. I want the 50,000 you're going to pay me on the, on the 500,000 you're going to be generating if you follow the model. You have a new company that finances the, the other 20. Max Finance. <laughs> no, well, they're, um, they're, they're not third party financing, by the way. That we are yeah, SBA approved. So, pay your franchise. What do you think about that? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good business, too. I know it is. All right. Well, I don't have anything else to add except. <laughs> well, Max, tell me a bit about the operations. Like on both sides, on both businesses, do you run them the same way? Where Where do you feel like you're wasting time? If you do, maybe, maybe, maybe you're the one company that feels like you're a well oiled machine. Well, bookskeeping franchise is, I'd say it's a well-oiled machine because we are outsourcing everything that we can possibly outsource and just keeping the training and operations in-house, operations training and marketing training. Uh, for the bookskeeping as the corporate entity, definitely room for improvement because I have multiple offices and I have people working in different time zones. So communicating, making sure we are all you know, on the same page and yep. stuff gets done, uh, definitely. I mean, any, you know, 1% improvement, 2% improvement, that's going to add to the bottom line. Well, for sure. Usually we find at, at Leverage um, 20 to 40% improvement quite quickly just because of how grossly inefficient people are. Well, tell me a bit about your tech stack. How do you guys, what do you, what, what do you guys use right now to operate? So for the operations for bookkeeping. We have our own proprietary uh, system called Books Desks that we wrote for uh, bookkeepers, and it's only available to our employees and to our franchisees. And what does that software? What's the? What does that software do? It's for bookkeeping. It's for no. It's managing clients and managing the documents for the bookkeepers and processes. So it's like a CRM for for bookkeepers. No, for for software we use. Uh, QuickBooks, we use Zero, we use NetSuite, Sage, so whatever is out there, we, we're not recreating the will. So, but then for outside, like for marketing, we use HubSpot, and then uh, we use Microsoft uh, uh, Office Suite uh, uh, for everything else. All right, so you use like Microsoft Teams for internal communication, you use Outlook for email, you use SharePoint? Uh, we actually use SmartVault, which is... Uh, you know, designed for accountants. So it's a bit more secure. Our franchisees, they use SharePoint, but, you know, right now we've been with SmartWall for years. So we just didn't want to switch back to SharePoint, even though mm-hmm. it makes financial sense, but we're like, yeah, whatever. We're just going to stay um, because SmartWall is working for us. Well, in, in my experience, a quick way to save time is getting a grip on how you use Outlook. You know, how many emails do you have right now in your inbox in Outlook? Oh, I have a lot of emails. So one quick win, I mean, if you're talking about 1%, I could probably guarantee you a 10% uh, win right there. But learning how to use you and your team, learning when and how to use email and how to get to inbox zero, that's, that's one of the quickest ways to not just save time, but also reduce stress and missed opportunities. Oftentimes, when we work with clients, helping them with their email Every single time, basically, someone says, wait, stop. There's a email here that's worth $10,000 to me. Let me let me reply to this person that I missed. So email is a good one. What about teams? Do you have strategic channels and naming conventions and third-party integrations? 
with how you're using Teams? No, we do not. You know, Microsoft Teams should really be the internal communication platform that you use with your team. And Outlook should really just be for clients or vendors. Um, but what about for task management, project management? How do you keep track? Like if you have to write a blog for next Friday, where do you, where do you track that? So my personal time... Uh, um, okay, here, here is how bookskeeping is set up, uh, for better or worse. I'm the only one, and I have like a couple assistants who are helping me uh, do yep. uh, business development, okay? And then I have teams like marketing team that we are uh, using for, for that. And then everybody else is working on the operations. So once client becomes a client, they're passed on to the team and I'm staying out of this process. So like, I don't need to be part of this teams, okay? Uh, that's just my internal team. My, my operations team are working on that. So um, my uh, managing my own time, I just do it, you know, in my schedule and my executive assistants managing my my day. No, know, my I calendar. didn't. I didn't mean time in that context. Like, how is your company? Do you use Asana? Do you use Trello? Do you use any type of project management tool? If you need to ask someone to do something for you by next Friday, what's the system that you would be using? That's Bookdesks. That's the one, the, the proprietary system that we have. So it's pretty much okay. So, and that's, that's, but that's it, so that's just general tasks. Like if you had to write, if you want someone on your team to write a blog by next Friday, you would put that into that system. Uh, yes, yes, you can do that. Okay, so it's not specific just to clients. It's also any type of any type of task, marketing tasks, client specific tasks. I'd never been tested on marketing, Nick, because again, I don't have anybody part of this team who's using Bookdesk to help me with marketing. That's a separate team. For that, I use HubSpot. So you're using HubSpot tasks for the marketing? Yes, for the marketing. For the anything that is business development and sales, we use HubSpot. Once they become a client, they are rolled into Bookdesk. I see. Okay. And there's nothing though outside of that. Let's just say you need to remember you need to prepare for today's podcast. You have to, you wanted to listen to an episode of the Optimized Podcast in preparation. Where would you put that to do? I'm ashamed to say that, but I'm just going to put it in my schedule, you know, and just in my, okay. you know, Outlook schedule. And then it's, I'm going to get the reminder. I know it's not the best. Like Asana, I started looking into that. Any other recommendation besides Asana? I mean, there's a lot of good ones. We like Asana, but I don't know. I would have to have a longer conversation to really see kind of look every business. I'm not trying to pick at you here. Every business has huge opportunities and is broken in various aspects. So it's really a matter of prioritizing. I don't know if Asana would be the first step for you or maybe getting to inbox zero and outlook. I mean, if you've got a lot of emails, that's, that's usually just a two to three hour time investment that could yield a three to five hour per week in perpetuity <laughs> return. So usually that's probably one of the best investments of energy and resources. But you mentioned, so you've built your own system for task management for client work. Mm -hmm. Then you use HubSpot as a CRM for uh, use a sales hub and the marketing hub, I guess. Yes. And then, sorry, you also mentioned that you're using NetSuite and Sage. No, I, I just said that we can offer bookkeeping in NetSuite, Sage, uh, Zero, or QuickBooks. We're just using that as oh, the, okay, the bookkeeping but, software, not internally. Oh, no, that's no, what no. you support, but internally, support. Internally, internally, we don't do anything. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I, I was going to say that that didn't that didn't smell right. And then, where are you documenting all of your company knowledge? Like you, a lot of what you do. You're in the knowledge business in a lot of respects, right? Like all of your best practices, not only does it serve your business, but all the franchises, you know, leverage all of your, um, all of your IP and knowledge. So what do you use to kind of wrap up all of your training and intellectual property? It's part of Bookdesk. Bookdesk has the, um, one of the uh, tabs that is actually all the procedures are there and everything is a Bookdesk and anybody on the team can go and look and read and and we can limit who can read what and you know what do they have access to or not. So it's all part of our internal system. And when did you start building Bookdesk? No, about eight years ago when you started growing. So I'm just proposing this. I, I have no idea. I've never looked at your software, obviously. Max, in the last eight years, right, you've got new fantastic tools available, right? We've mentioned Asana. We use Coda at Leverage for our knowledge base for SOPs. 
You've got learning management systems. You've uh, like we use WorkRamp, but you've got you've got a whole bunch of other learning management systems. You've got um, platforms like Circle.so, which house community and courses and knowledge as well. Anyway, my point is. There's a lot of it made it, it totally made sense that eight years ago, if these things didn't exist, you needed to build. But in the last eight years, all these things have popped up that have invested hundreds of millions or billions of dollars into development to build a you know industry leader in solving specific things. And one thing that's difficult, and I've I've been a victim of this too, but it's like what's it called? Sunk is it called the sunk sunk cost fallacy? I don't know. It's like okay. when you, yeah, when you play poker, for example, and you put your chips in the middle, they're no longer your chips, but sometimes you hang on and you keep putting more in because it's like, oh, well, it's just a little bit more. You've probably invested hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into this software. And I don't know what your cost is to maintain it, but something that might be worthwhile to look into is to evaluate some of these tools that I mentioned, like Coda and Asana and other things. And long term, over the next 10 years, what's the best move? Is it to keep maintaining your own software? Or would it be worthwhile to look at some of these others that you know are the best in class for knowledge base, the best in class for learning management, and try to maybe you know use a third-party tool and integrate them a bit together? And then you're, you're not maintaining... Uh, again, I don't know how your workflows and maybe there's some really specific nuances that are required and... You just have to, you know, that's part of the value add and something that that you need to maintain. I mean, I've been there before where I built custom software and then a couple of years later, like something comes out and it's way better than what I built. And it's like, all right, well, I guess I got to scrap what I built because like this. It, so I'm just proposing that it might be worth worthwhile to check some of those out. And then you're, you know, saving on server costs, saving on development costs to maintain. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, definitely like I'm looking right now for, the video recording tools that where we can record some, you know, like uh, some, that's something that Books Desk is not offering that, and I don't want to invest into, you know, adding it there. So, and another tool that I would encourage you to look at, and well, we get discount like if you if you want to talk further, we get discounts, and we have relationships with a lot of these companies I just mentioned. So, feel free to reach out if you do want to sign up. We get a discount, but Process Street is a process documentation tool. And it seems like your business that you're in is heavy on process, right? Mm-hmm. How this is how you onboard a client, this is how you do payroll, this is how you set up a new entity. And so, you know, I might I might look into that if I were you, um, because it seems like really critical that you have robust processes in a really powerful process documentation tool that has integrations with AI and automation and all all that advanced stuff. What's the name of it? Process.st. ST, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and like that's one, we have a collaboration with them um, for a long time now. They're, they're fantastic. Another thing too, Max, to look into, usually meet, the way meetings are run are usually really inefficient. And um, most companies don't do a good job of having agendas for meetings and staying on track. And usually meetings are too long, too, too often, too many people. So, you know, the, the quick win that you can always do is just audit your calendar and start reducing the length of a meeting, the number of people. We've been using a tool called Fellow App for our meeting agendas. And that's been a big, a huge um, time saver for us, not bombarding people, especially in a remote world. You don't want to just be pinging everyone every two seconds. So having an agenda that people could just store ideas and then once a week when you have a meeting, go through a, a batch of 20 ideas. That's a huge time saver too. So anyway, I hope I hope you got much more than the one percent. Oh yeah, I think you got yeah, much more than one percent there for 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 sure. And then we're definitely going to be looking at some of them, especially like we're keeping the processes and procedures. But I would love to automate that so we can update it easily and it goes to the entire team right away. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. And the 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 training that you have, how much is automated now of what you're doing with training? Like if someone, if I were to give you the thirty thousand. How much time does it take for how much involvement on your side is there? Or is it pretty much I give you 30,000 and then it's kind of automated and I get added to a system and I can watch videos and read documents and, you know, everything's kind of in a nice box with a bow tie on it. 
you get that too. You get the videos and all the recordings, but you get live person. Like you get me and we go over your specific business plan, marketing plan, your first steps. What do you do? First day, second day, how, you know, you go get the clients. Then you get my operations team to do the same. And it's two weeks of uh, training. Yeah. And then after that, they get uh, six months of sales coaching bi-weekly and it's done by professional sales trainer. Because let's be honest, most of the accountants who buy the franchise, uh, they have no idea how to sell. That's where they need help. They just not designed uh, to like, they're not very good salespeople. They're managing their own sales calls. Is that right? They're managing their own sales calls. I offered to be on a couple of their sales calls in the beginning, just so I can uh, train them and coach them, but they're managing their own. Could that be another add-on revenue stream for you where they, you know, they don't handle the sales? It's a it, this this trainer that you have for the six months, what if they just did all the sales calls and it's just another way for you to make money? That's a good point. That's a good, I mean, the way we look at it, when we send them the franchisees of those 85 franchisors, that's pretty much what we're doing. We're managing all this, you know, calls and we're managing I mean, those. I would, I would imagine, Jay's more of an expert, so I'll shut up in a second, but I would imagine that any aspect of running the business that you're not controlling, but they're controlling is probably an opportunity for you to have another way of having a revenue stream and for them to make life a bit easier for themselves, no? Yep, 100%. There's a positive and negative. If you can absolutely predictably secure business for them that they would have difficulty getting, then you offering an option where we'll do it for half of the first year on top of the 10% or including the 10%, then it could really be interesting and you'd have to sell it. But if you offered it and you didn't turn out to be able to do it, it would compromise the integrity and, and the, uh, and the uh, positioning of your brand. So it's got two sides to it. But let me ask you one other question. When you, Max, when you go to a, when you let a franchise broker sell a franchise for you, on average, what do they get as a percentage of the 30000 50%. Okay. So that's 15,000. Yes. If you offered, I mean, there's a lot of people that have business opportunity databases. Wouldn't you think, Nick, probably about maybe a thousand of them out there and they don't have to even be large. They just have to be quality, which is uh, that, that diminishes a lot. But if you went to those people and offered them $7,500 to $10,000 for promoting the heck out of it in a compliant way that you had to furnish the emails and drive people to, uh, you know, some kind of a, whether it was a landing page, a webinar, I would think they would be in hog heaven wanting to do that. Wouldn't you, Nick? Yeah. Seems like a no-brainer. Where do they hang out, Jay? Where Everybody. Do I... put, a, put a business opportunity on a Google search. Go look on uh, I mean, look, uh, every kind of business opportunity, uh, digital mark. I mean, look, you know, franchise, business, you know, look, you know, look at everything. There's, there's a myriad of them. There's probably, Jesus, how many people do you think sell business opportunities and business opportunity training? Let me tell you one more gift for you, Max. This is Thank a you. gift. It's a big gift if you take advantage and it's worthless if you discount it. Many years ago, I sold a fifteen and a $20,000 training program on how to become a performance-based contingency profit-sharing marketing consultant. I ran ads for it. I had endorsers galore, but one of the biggest sources we had, we would go to other people who were selling training programs for ten dollars to $20,000, and we would get them to make their unsold prospects available to us. And we would pay to send a letter to everybody that inquired and never bought. And I'm going to give you absolutely the entire format right now in a nutshell, in a, with a bow on it. We would have a letter written from the franchise. Excuse me, excuse me, it wasn't a franchise. It was a distributorship. It wasn't a franchise, but you could do it with franchise. I believe you could, we had the letter. I'm not an attorney. When I say I believe, I don't know. You have to check. We'd have the letter written from the owner uh, and, the, and the head of the, uh, of the training prop company. And it would say, we were, or I was so thrilled when you originally inquired about my training program. Uh, I was frankly disappointed when you didn't follow up, but I assumed that one of a number of things happened. 
either your, uh, you know, uh, our friend or excuse me, our distributorship was either too expensive, the terms weren't affordable. Uh, upon reflection, you decided it wasn't within your uh, comfort zone skill set wise. Uh, or maybe you got a better job or you got some other kind of retraining. However, if you have not yet found the perfect new business opportunity and income generating lifetime area that would satisfy you, fulfill you, and be very affordable for you to get into, I want to introduce you to a colleague of mine who has a lot of what maybe we don't. For example, it doesn't matter where you want to do it, it works. It doesn't matter if you want to do it locally, nationally, regionally, internationally, it works. Doesn't matter if you want to do it. Uh, Got to remember my copy. This was so cool. Doesn't I get tickled myself? Doesn't matter if you uh, if you want to do it uh, to one vertical. It works. Doesn't matter if you're good at selling, but you really don't like to operate. It works. Doesn't matter if you're a good operator and you can't sell. It works. It doesn't matter if you don't want to operate or sell. It works. It, and the risk to find out is zero because they'll let you, and we used to have that great, great, great risk reversal I told you about, and we got millions of dollars from going to people's unsold ones. But there's tons of people, you have to realize this, 90% of the people that buy uh, courses, training on business opportunity never, ever do that because it, it's it's too unappealing to them. You probably have sitting with all the things we said, if you really embrace them, the solution in less than a year of going from five to maybe 250 or 550. And if you did that and you're, and this is not a, a challenge, it's a rhetorical. And if your franchise performance estimates are reasonably accurate, if you got 250 to 550 at $50,000 Annually to you, you're talking about a 10 million to, you know, to uh, whatever it is, $25 million income with probably a very, very small amount of, of operational fulfillment. So I would really watch this if you get a chance when it's out uh, two or three times. And I would be very, very eager to think about it because I'll tell you this, and Nick knows it. Nick has saved people uh, in hours, you know, tens of thousands in dollars, probably hundreds of millions. In all honesty, my numbers are so off the chart, I won't share them with you, but these are not like lame ideas. These are the kind of ideas that people pay six figures to me and an upside for, and they pay Nick tens of thousands of dollars. So I think if I were you, I would really reflect on these and I have nothing else to say, Nick. <laughs> Uh, Max, any any final thoughts, questions? Um, you know, as we wrap up, we also always like to ask, um, what are some of the big kind of takeaways that you're going to go and think about and, and implement? And maybe we'll have you back on in six to 12 months and do a check-in and see what you did. Be fabulous. That would be great. First of all, thank you so much. I learned a lot and I was trying to t take notes, but then I gave up this idea because I was just listening. So I'm really going to rewatch it uh, um, as Jay suggested several times. And I'm definitely going to implement some of the like business opportunities. I'm doing it right away because I've tried and wasn't very successful. I was reaching out to people and, hey, hey I'll give you 50% of uh, this money that I'm making, just, you know, get me. And everybody wanted just, you know, like per lead cost. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to pay per lead, but that's a standard in this industry. But definitely, Nick, on the efficiency, uh, the process, the ST, that ST, I mean, thank you for that. And I'm sure there were a couple other ideas that I'm going to listen to later. So thank you for the opportunity. I learned a lot. It fulfilled, you know, my purpose of being here. So I thank you for giving me your time. All right. And again, congratulations with everything that you, you've gone to. It's impressive. Really, These are just... The main business sounds fabulous. Yeah, that's where we're growing it. But, you know, I'm trying to just have two hats. You know, who am I now? Am I a franchisor or am I a service to franchises? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, looking forward to seeing you at a future strategic coach meeting. Absolutely. And we'll check in in, you know, six to 12 months and see where you're at. 
Good luck with everything. Sounds great. Thanks again, gentlemen. I really, really appreciate it. It was very nice meeting you, Jay. Thank you to everyone at home or on the go for listening. If you find this show helpful, please hit the follow or subscribe button. It does wonders for the show so more people can find the optimized podcast organically. If you'd like to be on the show, we have an open invite to anyone who wants our challenges solved. If you want to get in the hot seat, you can submit your business right now at theoptimizedpodcast.com. If we think you're a good fit, we'll get you on the show. If you have any questions or recommendation, drop us a comment right here, wherever you're listening to your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. See you on the next episode.